God, you are so gracious. Even when we're weary, even when we are on a road that we don't want to be on, God, you walk beside us. And we are so grateful for that. I pray, Lord, that as we hear your word today, you would speak to us individually, Lord. Speak to us tenderly. Speak to us the message that you know we need to hear this day. Give us ears to hear the message that your spirit would tenderly speak to us this day. Hearts to receive it. We love you, God. We come to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how many of you watch the show Fixer Upper? Anybody watch Fixer Upper? Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with that show, there is a couple from Waco, Texas. Their names are Chip and Joanna Gaines. And this show is kind of about the work that they do. So they go into these houses that are like dilapidated and ugly and beaten up and abused. And, um, and they, they make them fabulous again and beautiful. And um, nine times out of ten, I look at these b houses before, you know, before Chip and Joanna get to work. And I think, why? Why would anyone even buy that house? It looks like such a mess. Now, I'm sure when somebody originally built the house, it was beautiful and useful, but now it is neither. And so enter Chip and Joanna Gaines because they have this gift, don't they, for looking through all of the mess and seeing and bringing out what is underneath that is beautiful. And as the show progresses, um, Chip and Joanna get to work and they tear things out that need to be torn out and they get rid of what needs to be gotten rid of and they cut down what needs to be cut down. And about halfway through the episode, I start wondering, is this structure even going to be able to survive all this gutting and tearing up that is necessary to be done? And sometimes it's a real nail biter. It's literally like the most excitement that I get in life is, you know, when I'm trying to wonder if Chip and Joe are going to co come through. But Chip and Joe clean up what needs to be cleaned up. And they bring in what needs to be brought in. And by the episode, and that place is amazing. And it is restored to its beautiful and wonderful state. And it's useful again. And, uh, and I and the viewers of the show are all amazed and relieved. And the people who live in the house, they sing the praises of the fixer-upper team. See, the job, the desire of the fixer-upper team isn't just to save that broken down old house, but it is to transform that broken down old house into a thing of beauty. And... Folks, that's what I hear when I listen to the scripture that we heard read here this morning from Malachi. I hear of a God who loved his people so much that he wasn't just interested in saving us, but he was interested in transforming us into something that we can be proud of, something that is beautiful, something that will bring him glory, something that is fabulous. See, the prophet Malachi, he spoke these words that we heard today um, for the people of God, about 400 years before the arrival of the Savior in the manger. 
And you and I should understand the history that God had delivered his people from slavery. This is the story of the Old Testament, right? He was with them through their time in the desert. He kept them safe from their attacks, from their enemies, and he brought them back from exile. He did all these things by the time Malachi spoke. And each time the people of God would find themselves in hardship, they would cry out to God and they would ask for God to save them. And God would save them. And they would worship him for a time, but then after a while, when things had settled in and been okay for a while, the people became half-hearted. And over and over again, the people of God would start to grow cold for the very God who had been their redeemer. And yet, through it all, God loved them. And God promised to send a Messiah who would restore the relationship between the people and their God. And here's what we hear Malachi say on behalf of the Lord. Here comes that promise. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. Biblical scholars believe that this was a reference to John the Baptist who came to prepare the way for the Lord. All right. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord God Almighty. So this is God's promise to the people that there is one coming, one who is the messenger of the covenant, one who is the savior. And you'll remember that last week you and I were reminded that Advent is a time for you and me spent looking toward the coming of the Savior, both back in the manger then and in the future when he comes again in power and glory. And so these words of Malachi point to that very Savior. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? Didn't that take an ominous turn? Oh, the messenger is coming. He's coming into the temple. But who can stand? Who can endure the day of his coming? For he will be like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the people will, the God will have people who will bring offerings in righteousness. And those offerings will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by. All right, so I'm going to break that down for you, Okay. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Let me tell you the answer to that question. It's you. You can endure the day of his coming. You can stand when he appears if you have put your faith and trust in God and in the Savior whom God has sent. Then you are the one who will be able to stand on the day when he appears. And the scripture continues, for he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. That's where I'm going to hang out today, okay? Because that sounds a little scary. He's going to put us to the flame. You will be able to stand because you have been made pure by the refiner's fire. You will be able to stand because you have been made innocent First by the blood of Jesus Christ, but then because you have been perfected, you have been made pure by the refiner's fire. Now, 12 times in the Bible, we see God referred to as a refining fire. And I believe the reason is because we need to be refined. The people of God need to be refined. We need to be purified. 
Now, why do we need to be purified? I'm going to tell you why. Because just like the people in Malachi's day, even today, you and I have a tendency to have things in our lives that make us flawed. We have things in our lives that separate us from the God who longs to be with us. And if those things are left unchecked, they can become more important to us than our God is. You know, today is the Sunday of peace. We lit the peace candle. Let me remind you that peace is not the absence of conflict in our lives. Peace is the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. And if we have things in our lives that are hindering us from being in the presence of God, we do not have peace. And so I think this is the perfect scripture for us to hear today on the Sunday of Peace. Because it talks about the way that God will help us to address the things that stand between us and God. It helps us know how God's going to rectify that. You know, one time there was a woman and she was watching a silversmith in his shop as he was holding the silver to the fire. And as he held the metal in the very hardest part of the, hottest part of the flame, the tiny impurities that were in that metal started to bubble to the surface and eventually dripped off into the fire. And as she watched that dross be burned away from that silver, she asked the silversmith, how do you know when it's done? How do you know when you can take it out from the flame? And the silversmith answered her. He said, I know when I can see my reflection that it's ready to come out from the fire. I know when I can see my reflection. And if I can't see my reflection, it needs to stay in the fire. And so, folks, here's my question for you today. Does the Savior see his reflection when he looks at you? Or is there something that is hindering that? And so maybe you need to go back into the fire. Let me tell you, I know that I continually need to be in that fire. Because there is so much in me that prevents my Lord from seeing himself in me. And even as he burns some of it away, I'm finding that more and more things that separate me from my God come bubbling up to the surface. What kind of things hinder us from reflecting our Savior? Things like money and material things that we place in a higher importance in our lives than we do our God. Things like the sins that we just won't let go of, even though we know that they're not pleasing to our Father in heaven, they separate us from him. They, they dull the reflection that he in the world sees. How about habits? How about words that are spoken by us yet not spoken in love? How about our neglect for people right in front of us who are in need? Pride, self-centeredness are a million things that you and I accumulate in our lives that tarnish our beauty. And yet God can look through all of that and he can still see our beauty and he can still see our worth. God can look at us even with our dross and even with our baggage and know that underneath that we are beautiful and we are capable of reflecting his son. 
And so like the ultimate fixer-upper, God tears out what needs to be torn out. And God replaces what needs to be replaced. And God cleans up what needs to be cleaned. And he does these things so that you and I can have joy and so that we can bring him joy and so that he can be glorified in and through us. That's why he does it. Now, how does he do it? How does God refine us? I think that God refines us in two ways. God refines us through our trials. There's a theologian. He just died last year. His name is J.I. Packer, and he said this. He, He was just so brilliant. I really love some of the things he says. This is one of my favorites. He says, still God seeks the fellowship of his people, and he sends them both sorrows and joys in order to detach their love from the other things and attach it to himself. And what that means is that God so longs to have a relationship with you in which you are whole heartedly his that he sends you both joy and sorrow now when we're in the midst of joy it is really easy to understand that that joy and the blessings that come with it are from god and when things are good we thank god don't we but here's what happens when things are too good for too long well we pretend we forget that god is the source of all that goodness And we tend to forget that we are dependent upon him for all we have and for all we need. And when we do that, we become half-hearted like the people became when Malachi was speaking. James 1 verse 2 says this, Count it all joy when you experience various kinds of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Various kinds of trials. What does that even mean? What are we supposed to be rejoicing in, counting it joy? Well, I think that various kinds of trials is like the junk drawer that I have in my kitchen, okay? Um, you know, when I, at my house, find something and I don't know what to do with it, I throw it in the junk drawer. We've really actually spilled over to, what, like four, five, five junk drawers? They're all junk drawers. But if you don't know what to do with it, it goes into the drawer if it doesn't otherwise have a place. And, um, and so now that junk drawer is full of various things. So Carl asked me for a tape measure. I go, yeah, it's in the junk drawer. Um, if you need a pen or a paper clip or the pizza menu, it's in the junk drawer. All right, a matchbox car I found in there the other day, Tylenol, it's all in there, cough drops, it's in the junk drawer. It's full of various things. Various kinds of trials means it's all in there. God's got a junk drawer full of trials. For you and me, there's sickness in that drawer. There's struggle. There's loss of job. There's the bully at work or at school. There's grief. There's angriness. There's loneliness. There's anxiety. There are kids that won't even listen to what you say, even though you said it a hundred times in the junk drawer. There are broken relationships that have left your heart hurting. And there are unkind words said by another person that we took too much to heart. In that drawer, there's the fear of being overworked or overstressed or overlooked in that drawer. Various trials. And they all remind us that we are not self-sufficient. But then God reminds us that though we are not self-sufficient, he is all-sufficient. And he does that. He reminds us of that by walking through those trials with us. 
God's deep and abiding love for you walks with you through the desert of your life. He weeps with you in your loneliness and in your grief. Because of his deep and abiding love, he steadies you in your anxiety and he shows you his grace. And folks, when we see that, guess what we do? We let go of the impurity of pride that we're clinging on to. And the dross of our sense of self-sufficiency starts to drip away. And we then look to the God who loves us and who longs to draw us close. And when we do our whole hearts cling to him. God refines us through the trials so that we are free to love him wholeheartedly. Now God never seeks that you or I should be harmed by our various trials, but God seeks that we would let go of that which stands between us and him. God seeks that we would cling to him, that we would draw close to him, that we would look to him, that we would depend on him, and that we would love him back. And so I wonder, what various trials are you facing today? Because we've all got them. God is with you. God is with you in your trials. You do not need to be self-sufficient. Why? Because your God is all-sufficient. So let him be all-sufficient. Let God refine you through the various trials and come back to loving him with your whole heart. God refines us through the trials. God also refines us through discipline. Ooh. Hebrews 12, verse 10 says this, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So God doesn't necessarily discipline you and me because we've done something wrong. He disciplines us because he wants to turn you into what is right. Over and over again, you and I do, and we're going to continue to fail and fall short. We're going to make the wrong choices. We're going to fall prey to the sin that so easily entangles us. We're going to fall short. It's as simple as that because we're humans and humans are bent to sin. It causes us to fall short. And God will discipline us in our sin, not to punish us, but to grow us, to perfect us, to refine us. When my kids were younger and they stepped out of line, I would take away something that was important to them. Not so they would be sad or so they would be miserable, but because I loved them and I wanted them to learn what was best for them. And God loves you. And God wants you to know and do what's best. And so he will refine you through discipline. Now, I want us to be sure and remember this. The Bible is clear that you and I were saved by God when we were at our very worst. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's not a single person hearing these words today who had to clean themselves up before God would take them. Amen? Confused, battered, bruised, enslaved, spiritually sick. That's what we were when God reached down from heaven in the form of a baby in a manger in order to get a hold of us. God knows we have sinned, but God can see through that and he loves us anyway. 
He sees the beauty. And even though you and I continue to sin, even after we come to God through Christ, we are reminded in Malachi 3 of a very important thing. I'm sorry, it's verse 6, and we didn't read as far as verse 6, so I'm going to read you verse 6. Malachi 3, 6 says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. That tells me that God loved you and me even when we were sinners even when we did wrong. And so guess what? Even when you and I blow it today, God still loves us, which is why God will refine us through discipline. So God refines us through our trials. God refines us through discipline. Why does he do that? Because it's in the refining that the offerings are restored. Malachi 3b says this, Then the Lord will have a people who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem, that's the people of God, will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in the former years. So the people of Malachi were half-hearted. And what they would do, you might remember this, we studied this exact um, chapter a couple weeks ago. They would bring animals for offerings that they couldn't make money from otherwise. They wouldn't give God the best in the first. They gave God like you know, what was not really all that useful for him, they gave him their scraps. Even after God had delivered them over and over and over again, they offered God that wasn't something that wasn't their best. They were half-hearted, half-hearted. And you and I, guess what? We can tend to be half-hearted too. It is so easy for us to get caught up in this world and in the things of this world that we start to give God our scraps and not our best. And I'm not really talking about the offerings that you put in the plate. We talked about that in November. This is December, and I'm talking about a different offering. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So God wants yourself. God wants you, your whole self. He deserves and he desires your time and your talents and your caring toward others. God desires that you would give that wholeheartedly. He wants you to be so in love with him that you would hold nothing back from him. That's what it means to be wholehearted. In the early 2000s, I started working with the youth ministry here, and I asked my husband to help me in that ministry, and he said to me, look, I'm not a good teacher, and I don't really like teenagers all that much. (laughs) But he loved me. He loved me, and he loved God too, I guess, right? Yeah, you love God. He loved me, and so he offered himself in any way that I needed him. And he didn't hold anything back. When I go to work, sometimes I'm in a rush and I don't have any food or, you know, the Mac is empty and I don't have any money. And do you know that he'll um, go get me food and drive it to my job at work? He holds nothing back. He loves me wholeheartedly. Sometimes uh, I work nights and I sleep days. And if I haven't had time to stop and get gas, he'll take my car out and fill it up. So when I wake up, there's a tank full of gas. Do you know why he does those things? Do you know why he avails himself to me and holds back nothing of himself and his resources? Because he loves me. Because he loves me. And because back in 1986, he offered himself to me wholeheartedly. And that's never changed. And that's what it should look like when we offer ourselves to God wholeheartedly. What happened to the people back then was that 
It's the same thing that happens now. We love him. We love him. We accept God. And when he cleans us from our sins, we're feeling so full of him and so grateful that we offer ourselves wholeheartedly. And then after a while, eh. you know, like, all right, I'm not doing anything on Saturday, so I'll show up for the bread of life. There's no football game on Sunday, so I'll go to church. And that's what we start to look like. We're half-hearted. Folks, that's not what God deserves. It's not what God wants. That's why God refines us through our trials and through discipline so that we won't be half-hearted. God refines us because he loves us. He refines us in order to purify us, to beautify us, to make us beautiful. God is the ultimate ultimate fixer-upper. He burns off the dross of our sin so that he can see his reflection in us and so that the world can see it too. God refines us because God, even through the mess, can see the beauty in us no matter how deeply it is hidden. And because God does that, yes, it is you and I, who will be able to stand on the day when he appears. Amen. Hallelujah and praise the Lord.